episode 7 of The God Learners, a podcast about gaming and reading in the mythical world of Glorantha. I am Ludovic, aka Lord Abdul. I'm Jörg, and our guest today is Diana. Hello, Diana. Hello, I'm Diana from Beer with Teeth, sometimes known as Berra. I'm very pleased to be with you. Yeah, we, we have to uh, tell people that it's very early for uh, you, Diana. We're very sorry to make you uh, wake up early like that, but you told me... This is not person. actually a real time, and I would like to complain. <laughs> <laughs> some people have made up some numbers that go at the beginning of the clock, and this is not fair. <laughs> no, but, I mean, it, uh, this way you know that the world actually exists in the time where you're usually sleeping. Okay, I have not opened the curtains and I do not intend to until the sun comes back. Now, yeah. the thing is, it's pretty late for me. So as I get sleepy and unable to make sentences, you will start to be able to make sentences. And hopefully that will <laughs> kind of... Uh, what we're saying is we expect you to carry the whole thing here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Call me Atlas. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm mostly saying there's only two hosts, uh, uh, two full hosts in this in this episode, but uh, it will transfer from one to the other, maybe. Anyway, uh, glad to have you on the on on the air. Hi. Uh, but first, a bit of news. Yuri, what's happened since last month? Well, uh, we uh, went on to episode two of our initiation series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We interviewed uh, Rosano. And as we threatened or promised, depending, we indeed started releasing those interviews that we ran with a whole bunch of newbies to Glorantha and... Uh, and to RuneQuest or whichever game they play Glorantine. Uh, and we will continue to release them yeah. every mid-month, give or take, uh, in between yeah. the normal episodes. Uh, actually, we've got uh, Diana's episode coming up um, at some point soon. Uh, yeah. I forgot when it is. Wait. Oh, no, Diana. Diana is going to be in a few months. But your um, co-beer um, with thieves conspirator and uh, in-house archaeologist is next. Sweet. Yeah. What else happened? Uh, what else happened? Someone get, got a little enthusiastic about his homework for us, this episode, I think, and <laughs> uh, did write a review of the product we're talking about. Uh, yes, uh, I procrastinated on my uh, Johnson Compendium writing by uh, writing other stuff. Uh, and I wrote a big in-depth uh, starter set review, which is nice because we're going to talk about the starter set uh, material today. I hope it was uh, interesting for anybody who was wondering what's in the starter set. I tried to be fair and uh, in-depth with all of the material in it. Uh, we still got um, uh, featured on the Chaosium blog, so I guess uh, it was good. <laughs> Speaking about Cosium, uh, what uh, what we have now is the PDF of the Weapons and Equipment Guide. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were some familiar names on the cover, by the way. Um, yeah, I, I crept in one night and wrote my name in there quite a lot, and they have asked me not to do that again, so apparently I'm going to have to work for them instead. But, yeah, um, my name's on the cover. Amazingly enough, some other Beer With Teeth people. Yeah, there is a takeover happening and uh, I'm here for it. Uh, but yeah, congrats on, on that, Diana. Thank you. 
I'm, I'm not actually here for it because they do an awful lot of work that I don't want to do. So <laughs> if I if I took over, I, I'd actually have to do even more work, and that's bad. So let's appreciate yeah. just how much they do because it is awesome. Yeah, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Well, uh, one thing uh, which we might have to uh, say is uh, why a weapons and equipment guide is a Glorantham product and why you need it. Uh, I'm still only uh, halfway through the through my reading of it, but yeah, I really like how, in typical Glorenta fashion, it takes what you would expect, which is like you know a list of weapons and equipment stuff, but it actually provides all of the cultural and all of the cultural context around it, which means that you actually get a fairly nice glimpse of um, the everyday life or even exceptional yeah. aspects of life of the people of Dragon Pass, yeah. which is which is interesting. It's uh, Yeah, I think that was a bit of genius. Right from the beginning, the brief was, this is not going to be an ordinary weapons and equipment list. Mm -hmm. This is going to be something that helps you play in the world so you can transfer what is essentially a list of hundreds and hundreds of examples, which are perfectly playable as items you can have, and use those examples to work out how to make your world as well. And I'm really impressed with that concept. Also, I'm uh, I'm also learning new words in it. <laughs> uh, what was the, the, the word I, I learned? Like some kind of pit in the kitchen or something like that. I the yeah. The middle is just a rubbish bin. It, it's sometimes, well, not a rubbish bin, it's a rubbish pile. Quite a lot of the time, you don't even bother digging a pit. <laughs> yeah, see, uh, it's, it, you learn things with Lorenza. It's, it's, it's like a yeah, dung yeah. heap, but with extra junk. Yeah, and in in a way, it's a continuation of not that uh, intuitive product names. I mean, after the GM screen package, <laughs> the Colima Adventure package, yeah. this could have been the material culture of Lorenza, and instead, it's called the Weapons and Equipment Guide. So. Somehow, uh, Kaosim is underselling their products there. <laughs> Underpromise and over-deliver. I, I mean, I, I like it in that it keeps people enthusiastic going, gosh, how yeah. much better is the next one going to be? Yeah. I mean, um, even like, for example, the bestiary, I had to put off reading it for a while, thinking like, you know, I'll flip through it when I need a monster. <laughs> and when I eventually flip through it, I'm like, oh, there, there's a fair amount of world building in there, actually. And it's... Again, it's a bit more than just a list of monster and stats. So yeah, I think I think that's a, a general theme of the the Rune Quest line. So yeah, and the other bit of news from Chaosium is that they are part of uh, this year's Game Masters Month. Mm -hmm. The the new Game Masters Month. What is it, Yuri? Well, basically, it's a hands-on seminar almost uh, with material put out for new GMs and. Uh, the material they're using will be the starter set, of course. So basically, it's a training course how to use the starter set if you are a new GM. Well, that actually quite interested me because they've given an option, or at least last I looked, they've given an option. You could either have the starter set or you can have the core rulebook. And I'm really looking forward to finding out which two paths they pick and how they work. Like, will there be another attempt at the quick start if you have the core rule book or will there be something else so I, I know it's a bit geeky of me but I'm looking out for that to find out how it works uh, every year so it's organized by Montecook Games the, the people who do uh, Numenera and a few other uh, stuff 
And uh, every year they have, I think, a, about a handful of games for which they make this uh, hands-on material and um, community support to support new game masters picking up those games. And yeah, this year there's a bunch of my favorite games between the RuneQuest and uh, Unknown Armies and Delta Green. It's pretty cool. Um, so I guess uh, if you have, if you're a forever GM and you want to take a break, just push that onto one of your players and uh, <laughs> and say like you know, run something for me. Yeah. <laughs> and the other news: a uh, couple of uh, new appearances on the Johnstown Companion. Mm-hmm. Well, the first one is, uh, isn't out by the time we're re- recording yet, but will be when the episode comes out, which is uh, the first half of. Austin Conrad's last myth of the month for uh, this year and possibly uh, the end to the series. I'm not quite sure what Austin had plans. I think it was the plan to end the series with that. Um, I don't think that has changed, but yes. Uh, title will be To Hunt a, Go- Hunt a God. And as I understand it, if you're buying the first part, then the second part will actually be an add-on. So they're giving the setting first, and then you won't have to pay anything extra. You won't have to make another purchase. The second part's simply still in editing, and he wanted to get it out, and it's an ambitious thing. Yep. Um, as always, uh, Austin's writing got ahead of him. <laughs> um, but yeah, mostly it is, as far as I understand, it's set in near the old woods in Estrolia, and uh, the god you're hunting is a giant King Kong-like... Um, well, it's a monkey, actually, not an ape. Yeah. But um, <laughs> is King Kong an ape or a monkey? It's an ape, right? King, King Kong's a, a gorilla, so I think he's a giant yeah, ape. Right. But yes, that's uh, yeah. what you're up against. Well, cool. uh, with uh, librarians nearby, you need to be precise. <laughs> yeah. So there is one other bit of news, which is completely exclusive to the God Learners, because I've got we, we've been keeping it under wraps for a while. But Beer with Teeth are actually doing something directly for Chaosium right now, which is why we haven't been producing, and that's why we're not in the Johnstown Compendium right now. Uh, we've reached the point where our manuscript is nearly ready to give in, which is mm-hmm. deadly exciting. And cool. if you pay me cash, I will actually tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and Wait, this is Diana wait. holding people to ransom. Um, Where, um, where's my wallet? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, God, he's so poor. He's a, he only works in software. Imagine me, an artist, <laughs> attempting to blackmail him. Yes, we're doing something that we will that we've designed to support the starter set, oh, and that yeah. will be coming out in the future but i'm not going to do any more hinting yet unless i decide i'm going to and nobody else pretty much knows that nice um i hope jason dural doesn't hunt you down uh no i specifically checked that he is okay with me releasing this (laughs) i mean chaosium doesn't tend to have secrets about what they're doing it's just that they haven't that they don't always advertise what's at an early stage and yeah. Beer with Teeth feel we're no longer at an early stage. So, okay. cool. <laughs> awesome. Hey, this is Ludo, the editor. At the time of recording, Diana didn't want to do anything more than tease the project, but since that recording, the manuscript was almost finalized and she got the okay to actually reveal what the project was. So, you will learn that at the end of the episode. 
which is also a secret ploy to force you to listen to the whole thing. Although you can, of course, fast forward thanks to the bookmarks that we have in there if you have a podcasting app that supports bookmarks. Anyway, back to the show. Cool. Well, I don't think we can top that news. No. Uh, of course, we have another product which goes also uh, accompanying the starter set, which is David Corrales cardboard minis for the rainbow mount. Well, it's the cardboard minis, but you can also use them as uh, VTT tokens because everybody's playing online these days. Yes, but uh, for a change, they are not Zenith tokens, but yeah. uh, you see the characters from the side. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the rainbow mount is one of the scenarios in the starter set. Yeah. And it's also a, a revisit of a location that was Apple Lane, the first scenario out for RuneQuest, or the second scenario out for RuneQuest. So it's useful for people who have the old Apple Lane and want to revisit it, but it's more useful for the new version. And, well, there are a couple of more distant places of uh, Glorantha that got, got some attention. Mm-hmm. Simon Fipp uh, and his friends put out Holiday Dorastor, The Seven Hills, quite massive scenario uh, booklet. Yeah, there's, uh, is it the one that has like eight scenarios in it or something? Yeah, massive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And his end of year Holiday Dorastor work. Is that out now? It'll be out by the time this yeah the Krampus uh, Krampus the, Lauf and yeah. uh, uh, Yolo Puki uh, the uh, two Christmas themed uh, titles at least yeah yeah the one that gives uh, gifts to kids and the one that eats them Scares or them, whatever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> depending on which which list you're on. Yeah, both set in the cozy environment of Dorastor. It's it's such a nice place to celebrate Christmas, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit like the uh, 1914 uh, trench uh, Christmas. Yeah. We have a little bit uh, of new material for the West, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which, uh, which is a map of Cantor's uh, Isles. Yeah, and there's uh, more maps yeah. following... Those are two, maps, nice two more maps are out already. Um, the Elf Seam area and the Eastern Rockwood Mountains. They're basically uh, uh, pimped up versions of the Argon Argar Atlas maps, but they're very pretty. Different visual style, no hex, uh, hex grid, but mm-hmm. uh, it looks like uh, we will see quite a lot of Glorantha done that way. Yeah, it looks good. And uh, look into the past, uh, the history of Marcionism by Nick Brook and more importantly, Katrin Dirim. Yeah. Uh, this booklet f- was first produced for the freeform How the West Was Won. And the text hasn't changed much from that, but uh, there are 19 pieces of art in there which capture the spirit which tell stories uh, in a way that which expands the text more immensely. And I enjoyed it very much. They are very beautiful. As a professional and, artist, I look at those and I go, damn, that's, that's one of the sorts <laughs> of things I want to be able to do.
So yeah, the uh, so the city of Johnstown is the main setting for the RuneQuest starter set that hopefully many people got for Christmas, or if not earlier, if they have been nicer. So the starter set comes with like kind of a description of the of the city, a bit of the surroundings, and then three scenarios that happen in or near uh, Johnstown. But uh, we wanted to talk a bit about how to um, get more play time, I guess, around Johnstown, how to make up new stuff, how to add more adventuring. Yeah. Also, how to make Johnstown your base of operation. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, it has uh, the best library in the region, which is good for any of those scholar types. Yeah. So that's a good reason to make it your base of operations. But when you're talking about the mechanics, there are actually questions like, how does this look in the game? And I don't think it's too spoilery to mention that the adventures are set in this city. So at the end of the adventures, what you're going to have is a situation where you're known people who have solved things. And I think any GM would be able to jump on that and to go, and therefore, this can be offered to you, whatever that Mm. offer happens to be. So it could be that, um, I don't know, you've saved some poor widow and you can move into her house, or it could have been that you've saved the head of the city and and he gives you his palace for free or whatever. Um, (laughs) There's there's going to be, well, you know, I'm trying not to spoil her. I'm being nice. There's There's going to be a lot of gratitude and probably some hatreds hanging around. The GM pack adventures have it like, more explicit that if you complete the adventures, then you might be given a title from the tribal queen. In this case, the Colimar queen, because it, it's in Colimar lands. Uh, it's less explicit in, um, I think, the, the starter set. But yeah, you could imagine that after you've saved the day one way or another, then you you have the city rex or one of the even one of the the tribal uh, kings or queens who come and reside into the city every now and then for all the 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 tribes of the Johnstown Confederation and they could you know make you a thing give you a fancy title or a fancy house um and uh give you responsibility which is what you effectively want because you want the players to then have uh, more reasons to keep adventuring yeah. Or just just a sponsor for uh, long-term studies, like getting some characteristics up or something like that, which is usually uh, way too expensive to be paid out of a play, uh, player character's uh, <laughs> Oh, the old, uh, the old traveler technique of putting a loan on the players uh, and their characters to keep them uh, adventuring so they can pay it back? <laughs> uh, no, well, that's one way to do it. The other way is uh, to give out this training as a reward. Sure, yeah. Which will keep the party uh, in place, so they will be ready to take over other problems. That's actually really quite cool. Uh, then there's, well, let's say, future political upheavals in all of SATA, which are mm-hmm. developing. And I'm not sure uh, how long the current um, city regs will remain in the, uh, in the position. Uh, so is there much information on the starter set about the whole Hero Wars metaplot? There's, there's not a massive amount. Yeah. But we do know that, for example, the City Rex is... So by the way, uh, 
little aside on spoilers first. Okay. Yeah, we the starter set book two, which details the worlds of Glorenta and Johnstown, say that it's okay to give that book to the players. So we're gonna assume that all the content in there is not spoilery. Take it or leave it. So we know that the city Rex is trying to organize the surrounding tribes to have like some proper military organization so that all their militias are well trained together and all that because he's afraid of the lunars coming back uh, after they just got kicked out uh, after a dragon rise. So, And that guy has been kind of parachuted in, so he doesn't necessarily, yeah. in fact, he definitely doesn't understand all the political problems and the political ramifications here, like the Cincina hate the Culbria and the Culbria hate the Cincina and the Milani yeah. look down on a lot of people and the Telmori and everyone else hate each other. So yes. Onurin's really got his work cut out for him. And yeah. if you're playing any kind of political game then that's going to be something where you have a massive amount of well you you have something you can strip mine it's awesome because the the reason that you need cities is tribes hate each other they fight each (laughs) other unless there's a better solution so sata creates the cities to stop people killing each other and the job of the city rex is to pull those people together. And unfortunately, this one isn't massively good at it. He's doing it out of loyalty to Kalir, and he's mm-hmm. doing it because Kalir needs it done. Well, but to be fair, he's from the region. Mm. He's from the Greenheft tribe uh, clan, which I think is a, a Kinsina tribe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some so, but he spent most of his time in the rebellion in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And was was involved in a couple of hero quests uh, with Kalia. Uh, so he's been around a lot and uh, local politics uh, helped without him. Yeah. So he, he's, he's one of those expats that returns. Yeah. Although he does mention that he's less interested in all the nitty-gritty politics and more interested in just building an army for yeah. uh, Kalir to defend Sartar. So, yeah. you know, you could imagine most GMs going, like, taking that and saying, like, oh, you know, like, I'm going to have this uh, this threat of the return of the Lunars uh, looming in the distance for, for, for my campaign and use that to maybe uh, drive things. I actually want to ask you, how do you approach... Like basically when, when you look at the second book of the starter set or any, any kind of material and you figure I'm going to make new adventures out of it or find new plot lines or adventure seeds or whatever, uh, what, what is your kind of mental process for that? Um, first of all, I panic <laughs> because it's about half an hour to the game and I haven't got anything yet. And then I go through the book and I look at stuff like the headings because actually the headings are telling you what's important in this place. Mm, so okay. I might see, for example, I've got a load of local tribes and those tribes could give me something. And I, I can in half an hour because I've got a particular method for it, build a network of things that the tribes want or things that three clans want so that I can send people in to negotiate about those. But then I'll also be going through and I'll think, oh, there's a heading on farmers. Is there a plague on the crops right now? Is there a problem with getting food into Johnstown? Mm -hmm. Um, So each of these headings can give me a potential problem. There's the Royal Road. 
um, what if some chunk of the royal road has just disappeared? Like <laughs> yeah. that that's a big start. It, it just happened in British Columbia just a couple of months ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that, Ludovic. Maybe that was too soon. <laughs> so I, I go through and I look at all the headings and I'm probably going to go through quite a lot of them and just make up ideas yeah. for you as we go along here. Yeah, and my method would be, we already talked about it. He's uh, trying to build up the military. Uh, so uh, at some point he will gather the tribes and whatever forces they send. Yeah. And we'll, we'll hold a big maneuver or something like that outside of the city, which will also be uh, well the t uh, tribal moods for the tribes around. So lots of politing, uh, politicking, lots of yeah. training. So you have kind of a top-down approach where you look at the leader and what he wants, and then and work your way down then to. Um... Well, uh, no, well, not top-down. I'm looking at any random character and asking asking uh, what will this character do for them. Right. So, yeah. if I have a street performer uh, who, uh, which catches my attention, then I might uh, build an, uh, an adventure around his misfortune or mm -hmm. great fortune and how things will uh, start from there. Yeah. So there's a very interesting thing here, which is that although York was just choosing what could a person do for me, he also did go straight in at a very high level where a lot of the initial problems have been solved. So this guy is calling the tribes together already, whereas I would tend to go right down to the kitchen sink level and yeah. get to play through a lot more. So a lot of this is actually going to depend quite obviously perhaps, on the detail of your campaign. And I play once or twice a week in different campaigns. Yeah. So if I were to solve Ongarin's problem this week, next week I need to find a new thing. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah. you know, as soon as that's over, I need to find a new thing. So I do like <laughs> to have quite a lot of relatively small padding adventures as well as yeah. the big bits yes. of politics. Yeah, like because the, the way I look at it, usually is to first build some kind of web of intrigue. Like one of the things I was lamenting about the starter set is that all of the description of Johnstown and uh, surroundings was mostly factual. It didn't really have anything about who are the different factions. There's a couple factions described, but really like not a lot. And Uh, they don't really have an agenda. For example, they say there's the free sages who just sell their services, but there's no agenda for the free sage. Like what, what do they want? Who do they piss off? And who do they want to cater to? Um, same thing with NPCs. There's a couple of NPCs who do have some agenda, like the City Rex, but many other agendas, uh, many other NPCs don't really have um, an agenda. And so my yeah. first step is to actually look at, I guess, not quite the headings like Diana, but maybe all of the different elements. So, you know, there's a temple here, there's a NPC there or whatever. And I try to imagine what do they want and what group are they part of and try to get this web of intrigue between different factions and NPCs yeah. and then see where the conflicts happen and the alliances happen and then figure out like, You know, what what kind of scenario could start with that conflict? And I can throw yeah. the NPCs, between uh, the, the PCs be between those two factions. Yeah, I'm looking at a specific character and uh, mm -hmm. 
Then, then I take a look at King of Sartas follow uh, chosen leaders in this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because uh, if you take any character in the city, he will be uh, he or she will be a member of a cult. Uh, will have some association with a tribe or clan. Uh, may live together with other people who also want something. And uh, there's always this: which loyalty is the strongest for me now? Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah, it's true you can also look at some of the loyalty passions in the stat blocks i guess i didn't check them very closely so i don't know if there's anything good to salvage from there Ooh, meow <laughs> yes i i think for me there isn't quite enough in the passions to really get going but it is a good start mm -hmm. um I, i suspect that at some point our paths would cross as we work through the books ludovic because i would be looking at each individual as a heading as well yeah okay yeah, yeah, um, yeah. at which point i do have to ascribe at least some wishes and desires to them but yeah i, I like how you're going with explicitly setting out who has a pact with whom because that's something easily recordable and it deepens your world very well yeah And and uh, as I was going through it, I was also trying to link things to other things. Like for example, you know, you you look up the you know two sentence uh, write up of Cherry Ridge, and you know that the Chalanar Roy Temple is taking care of like not taking care, but um, how, how do you call that? Like cultivating the the berries there. So you got the link here, and then you look at well, Cherry Ridge is located here, and here are the neighbors. So these these are the people who might you know, who might be helping the Chalanaroi temple or getting in their way or whatever. There's the elk, the law thing, and the mafiording nearby. Yeah. <laughs> and they all, those are all three different factions that might come into play and then the jotering mm -hmm. kind of up among the north, which aren't really doing anything. Yeah, you, you really want to suck up to the Chalanaroi temple so that they're nice with you, uh, yeah. nice to you. And so there might be something going there. Um, and of course, there's, you know, Some places where it just screams adventure. I mean, there's a place called Old Vampire Cave. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever's in there is going to wake up and eat kids in the in the night or whatever. Yeah. And um, so yeah. that, that's easy. Um, <laughs> that's the easy um, part. I mean, yes, there are. Uh, we, we know from the scenarios, both here and in the Game Master's screen book, that there are lots of monster types really hiding in the uh, hiding in the environment. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, it's big cats or uh, long-time established bandits, yeah, or even chaos monsters. So, yeah, yeah, same thing. You when you look at um, the places around, you can see that there's like a chaos ground. If there's any chaos cult who want to get involved in in, in city affairs, then you just draw a line and you can put some some stuff in the middle there, uh, some sightings. Or what's the other thing you mentioned? I forgot already. Bandits. <laughs> yeah, bandits. Yeah, same thing. There's like, uh, what's the name? The... Burn Squeeze. You are next to Burn Squeeze. And Burn Squeeze has become slang for highwaymen. Yeah, there, there's Burn Squeeze and the uh, Gajay Hills, which is mentioned to have like bandits hiding in it. So you know that the bandits might be camping in the Gajay Hills and then going down to uh, burn squeeze to, to do some robbing. And then you can tie that to some uh, NPC yeah. that you decided was in league with, um, with some kind of organized crime organization. And yeah. going and guarding a caravan is a pretty good initial plot hook. If you need money, 
and there's a caravan yeah. that wants to go through burn squeeze and it's got more than the usual amount of goods in it then suddenly they need a lot of pcs and npcs and some of those npcs could quite easily be bandits which would be cool yeah yes yeah, yeah all the yeah. pcs could be those bandits all the pcs yeah. could be those bandits go rob this caravan <laughs> yes <laughs> depends who your patron is yeah Uh-huh. Or even, this caravan must be investigated. What is it really carrying? Go sign up for that caravan. Yes, sir, says yeah. Rex. So actually, this is this is the kind of stuff I mostly focus on. Like, so when I when I was trying to come up with some ideas for scenario hooks. I sort of organized my um, scenario hooks mostly with a like below hooks and above hooks. Like below is yeah. going to be, you know, all my hooks that tie to underground stuff and secret activities and whatever. And the above hooks will be more of the possibly more um, heroic stuff where you actually deal with the kings of tribes and you deal with uh, tribal feuds and like important things that are, I guess, public. Uh, I had, I usually have way more underground stuff because <laughs> I like, uh, you know, I like... A life of uh, crime. Uh, sorry? A life of crime. <laughs> yeah, well, crime, spying. I mean, we do have the Lunars who just retreated and are threatening to come back. So there might be some spying stuff to figure out how well Saltar is getting organized so that the Lunars know what to do. And you have a bunch of uh, people who collaborated with the Lunars in in Jonestown. Uh, And (laughs) Diana is spitting. So So I'm actually not so good at putting together the underground bits what i tend to do is i'll I'll have a list of npcs and if people want to go in an underground direction they'll discover that about five seconds after i discover that maybe exactly as i discover (laughs) what is really going on there so for me i found that the the most important thing is to have the the external parts that they'll be able to see instantly already outlined yeah. and if they are actually good at seeing the underground bits then i think those potentially count as overground in my head yeah but <laughs> yeah the, the yeah. thing also is uh, sometimes you don't know even until after the players tell you you know that you, you they meet some random npc that you know you just called bob the crafter soup npc yeah yeah and you figured he's just gonna be handing out something and then disappear forever but for some obscure reasons the players might suddenly think he's shady and so you have two choices either you lean in because um you think that they really want to have this npc be shady and then lead them into some underground world or you uh, go counter to their expectation and he's actually not shady he's maybe you know a spy for the city rex and he's gonna bust the underground operation so they've got the wrong <laughs> idea about him or something like that but so sometimes yeah. i i would do something like that where yeah. um the the 
plot is basically generated by the players themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do sometimes randomize when, when I don't know, like, is he the bad guy or is he a good guy or is he somewhere in between? <laughs> I, I often use a, a pow role. Oh yeah. So you know how how right are the player characters? How well have oh. they grabbed this? Let me roll power for them. Nice. That reminds me of the uh, the idea roll in Call of Cthulhu from yes. uh, way back. So uh, basically, uh, this harkens back to our Pest's uh, episode. Uh, it might be good to have uh, some sort of record sheet for the NPCs. Oh yes. Yeah, definitely. Like so write, down, uh, write down the names of the NPC you come up on the fly and a note of who they are, yeah. As soon as the players interact with them, uh, record these. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. then, well, uh, let's say Bob the Crafter, uh, he is involved in a protection racket uh, on the victim side. He, he uh, was uh, collabor collaborating with the Lunars, or at least with Luna friends. Mm -hmm. uh, he is from a certain clan. Mm -hmm. And all of these uh, things uh, which you can hang on to and which may make your uh, player characters suspicious of him. Yeah, exactly. And then you, you bring complications. You know, the player characters are sniffing around. So, of course, the big people of the protection racket are going to get involved. And I mean, as I was reading the starter set, again, it's totally not mentioned in the starter set. Uh, but that's what popped in my head right away is um, the Hornus brothers uh, who were in charge of the, um, the markets under the lunar occupation and now have been like set aside and replaced by Joe Myth. To me, they look like and they sound like total crime bosses, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, trafficking and whatnot. I mean, one of them has a missing hand. And people are wondering, like, oh, you know, why is his hand missing? And, and it's not getting regrown by the Chalanaroi temple. My first thought is, like, he got his hand cut because his brother is running the, the, the gang and he messed up somehow. And cutting his hand off is like, you know, cutting a finger off uh um in in the um in the triads or the um or uh, the, those kind of mafias and uh and he can't regrow it because maybe it's an <laughs> honor thing or maybe because the Chalanaroi temple knows that he's completely rotten so yeah, yeah i mean in my head those two are running the organized crime on the ground of Johnstown. So I, I wouldn't go quite that far, but I would definitely go with those people look like they were collaborators from the history. And it's like they, they've got into their position of power and now they've lost it, but they are still respected, whereas Seven Mothers Temple isn't so respected anymore. Yeah. So they've got <laughs> they, they've managed to mostly keep clean. Um, which is basically the equivalent of getting a peerage. Like either you get executed or you get a medal and booted into the House of Lords. Mm. <laughs> and they're, they're too powerful to deal with directly, but also they are useful. Like right now they're useful to the people in charge. They're, they're harmonious. They can help keep things smoothed over. They know mm. their time is over and they also don't have to push very hard. They've got a lot of money. And I, I would play them as much more sympathetic characters, despite all the things they've done, because they've really believed that they're helping people. Mm, so yeah. they've, they've yeah. gone into there and then they've attempted to bring people together, including the Lunars, 
to yeah. bring towards the people of the city. So I would play up that angle rather more, as well as we made massive profits from war booty, which <laughs> yeah. does yeah. sound and like I mean, it's correct. In my notes, for example, I have this idea where this war booty, some of it, you know, if people knew that they had, oh, you know, they have this heirloom from this family or whatever, they might be in trouble. And so I have got like some notes about them starting to sneak these things out of town and possibly getting in league with uh, bandits that would kind of steal it at burn squeeze, but it's not really like stealing. They just want it disappeared and things like that, or just like sneak it out of the city under cover of night, uh, whatever. But so there's, you know, there's some stuff there for any kind of past collaborator that uh, you can probably find ideas about. Next, the Hornos brothers is Lassirian good speech, and he was definitely collaborating. And then the tribe intervened and stopped yes. him from being exiled. So he's someone who basically lives because, well, he lives where he is, has the power he has because his tribe looked after him. I would probably yeah. have him be a good guy, though. Yeah. 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 Um, so, who are you blackmailing in the tribe so that you can stay yeah. here? Yeah. So you'd go, you'd go the my Hornos route, but with the good speech guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would have it reversed, but that works too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's uh, any connection they may have had with the missing Gringle. Oh, uh, Gringle uh, from the gym pack. Uh, I don't think Gringle uh, is mentioned in the starter set, right? No, Gring, uh, Gringle is well, uh, one of the reasons that Apple Lane is so interesting because... Uh, yeah, but we are getting off the starter set here. Yeah, but, uh, uh, well, he he was the most influential uh, Isseries merchant in the region. Mm-hmm. He, he was the one who financed uh, uh, the Lunar Texas out of his own pocket for a while, mm-hmm. for all of starter. For the Colomar, I think. Uh, well, he lived there. Uh, I'm not sure uh, where he came from. I th- he no, I companion. think he was only made the tax collector in Apple Lane and the local area. Possibly. Now uh, we have to have um, a short knife fight. Yes. <laughs> knife, wow. Uh, <laughs> Someone's wrong about the law. He might as well just settle it with violence. <laughs> and I thought we would pull out the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but anyway, yeah, the, the, uh, it is mentioned in the in the starter set that if you want to know more about Apple Lane, you can get the uh, Game Master screen pack. Yeah, uh, and that that and, is and, a good follow up buy, definitely. And yeah. then there is this big hook, missing merchant. It's possible to get hold of the information about him relatively easily, so you mm-hmm. don't actually need to know what Apple yeah. Lane was. But I definitely recommend getting the. GM's Guide, yeah. the screen pack. And while the Sata Companion is out of print, uh, the adventure where uh, Gringle went missing uh, mm-hmm. was published separately as a preview a scenario, mm-hmm. and that should still be online. So I got know. it recently. That's why I said it was available. Well, that's why I said the information was available. I know it's on my <laughs> PC. Uh, well, we'll have a link in the show notes to Diana's PC. Yes. But also to the actual <laughs> to the actual PDF you. file.
Maybe let's start with the, uh, the typical you all meet in a, a pub. Only uh, <laughs> make your players regulars in the pub and have some other regulars in the pub be contacts of the players. Mm -hmm. Which is how uh, I started a couple of my games. Uh, those regulars really became NPCs, uh, NPCs in the game, which they really appreciated and would go uh, saving and everything. So. So I have a slightly different view to meeting in a pub. It, it's it's awesome that you can do that, but there's also another social place where you can meet. Um, there are bathhouses all around the city. And if you have a particular time, you go to the baths and someone else does as well. That's yeah. a detail that I would probably work on. And you meet in a pub is something that everyone understands. But if you want to add in that little bit of extra... It's, yeah, you go to the bathhouses a lot. Of course you do. People who don't do that yeah. are barbarians. Who would think you didn't <laughs> do that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And those bathhouses are run by the Shalana Arrows? Um, some of them are. There are some public yeah. ones as well. So if, if, you yeah, want yeah. The, if you want the free bath, you can go to Shalana Arroy and just make a donation. Um, or you can go pay. <laughs> and you, free, there must, So well, it's a donation. <laughs> there must be... Yeah. Some particular uh, social set where your sort of people bathe as well. Yeah. Or uh, another unlikely place might be I met him in the hospital. <laughs> yes. Like, I was recovering from this, he was recovering from that. Mm -hmm. and that's how we met. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You might join the militia for a while and get rostered onto towers with people. It's like, you've marched up and down this wall for a while. It, it, you're... Short's tour of duty is nearly up, but on the other hand, you know these guards. Yeah. Actually, joining the militia would be one of my go-to story framework more than you meet in a pub or in a bath because I've always liked this kind of access to the street level every day, you know, little crime it's, and um It's an uh, ongoing thing. Yeah. yeah. I like the word frame there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you can you can make it into a series of small small little incidents like mini scenarios just like saving these people from a burning house, yeah. uh saving this person from getting uh, mugged etc. Yeah. And then you can build organically from that and instead of yeah. having just met that person in a in a pub, you actually save them from getting mugged. Um and then uh there is more of a not a reward, but uh, um, uh, they owe you something, for example, uh, for that. So I, I like that as a framework because not only is it continuous over time, it also yeah. can build various types of relationships. We all know those uh, police procedurals. Exactly. Where, where people overstep their authorities or uh, interfere with the wrong uh, people. So... Being in the militia is a good way to get on the bad side of some of the notables in the city. If you've got crafters in your group, they're probably going to be a member of a guild, which is the, it's not everyone in the same group. But then again, you might not all be in the militia. And if you're in a guild, you're going to be having the same sort of framework, possibly with multiple different guilds if you've got a, a wide party structure. And um, the good thing with the guilds is that you've got your, um, and even also with the sages, You know, if you've got a couple of crafter or a couple of sages, you can put those in the guild or in the library or whatever. And the others can act as a hired muscle, 
because you know it it's mentioned that uh, the guild houses have people to protect uh, their secrets and protect their inventory same thing with the library so that can be your your in based on the That's quite nice. The you're a potter but your warrior mate over there can stand at the door and look tough yeah. yes yeah exactly I like that. And one thing I've been missing in the sample characters is none of them have a spouse. Mm, yeah. That's interesting. So they can all meet in a pub for some speed dating night. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, most of my characters actually uh, were in a permanent relationship. Mm -hmm, yeah. When I get to the end of the year, I always make it a point to ask everyone if they want to get married. And a lot of beer with teeth scenarios. In, in the game, have. you mean? In the game. Uh, I, I am not that <laughs> desperate, Ludovic. <laughs> Just going yeah. for a dry spell. Diana, the matchmaker, yes. Um. Yeah. So a lot of beer with teeth scenarios do have potentially rewards like you could marry into the clan if you mm -hmm. wanted to. Because... Marriage is not only for love, it's also for making alliances. Yeah. So I will probably quite quickly find, if I were running a game, that people do get connected like that to the area that they're in. But it is a good point that no one starts off that way. And I'm here, I'm not, I'm not hearing oversight, I'm hearing a huge plot hook here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I wonder awesome. if, again, if we go back to some of the agendas of the city rights, for example, trying to get all the tribes together, if you are a prominent member of one clan or one tribe, maybe you're going to have the city rights kind of nudging you to, oh, you know, how about you get married to this other person, maybe for at least a year? just to force some alliances and strengthen the confederation or something like that. Yeah. So that could Get be... Get yourself could... some kin. And it's probably going to be over by sacred time. Yeah. And uh, and you realize <laughs> that your new spouse uh, bathes in the blood of virgins or something. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, uh, we happen. all have our skincare routines, Ludovic. <laughs> and you said you weren't going to talk about that. Are you really Elizabeth Bathory reincarnated? Um... <laughs> um... Uh, okay. Why? Why uh, would she need a rebirth? Yeah, I guess because um... I've been walled up for quite a while. I mean, she she got walled up. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on. Um, going back to so basically, all of those things are opportunities for getting a plot hook onto the players. You know from a new spouse from um, an encounter or uh, something in the bath, uh, bathhouse or at the pub, et cetera, et cetera. When I think about an urban setting like uh, Johnstown, my first thought goes towards a sort of like noir detective stories where it kind of, you know, it starts with you get your clothes stolen at the bath, but, or something simple, you know, And but mostly that because I like the idea of having the characters running naked around time and screaming, catch that thief or whatever, but make it into like the incited incident that puts your hand into a giant uh, machine uh, conspiracy or something. Like, for example, the clothes that they stole from you, they actually meant to steal it from the pile of clothes just next to you because that pile of clothes had you know some 
letter or some seal uh, that they wanted to steal for forging documents or whatever. And there is this whole political uh, conspiracy. And so that's usually where I'm going in my in my head in like this kind of noir detective story that starts small but gets big. What kind of hooks do you actually uh, unleash on your players in those situations? You're accusing me of a lot of forward planning here. (laughs) (laughs) So generally, I will have a situation. So I might have made up one of these things we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's quite hard for me to say what the plot hooks are, because it's going to very much depend on what the PCs are interested in and what they bite on. Yeah. And I I don't like to think of it as a railroad because they could walk away from this situation and I would do something else completely. I've had them flee town instead of deal with the assassins. And I mean, (laughs) that was hilarious. It was all so smart. Yes. (laughs) But I tend to either have someone who is politically astute tell them what to do, which is quite good. Because in my game, there are a few people they, they have come to really respect or at least fear. So basically, you you get given a mission at the bath or at the the club, yeah? At which point, that mission often goes off the rails and they're left desperately trying to cover up and pull the pieces together. Or I'll have someone ask them for help because they tend to be the honourable, helpful sort of person. Mm -hmm. um, What those particular plot hooks look like is always very much up to me making it up, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, when you said uh, someone who's politically astute, someone who comes across as politically astute, but is anything but. Uh, that can also work. And I would like to introduce you to Jodhra Latish and the City Rex, <laughs> one of whom is probably politically astute. so you can definitely have the, the, the minder and the person who they're speaking for. So, uh, well, uh, plot hooks, how do we introduce those? Um, uh, Mainly by making them personal. Mm -hmm. Uh, So either the uh, the players come across an item which people are interested about or uh, introducing a person which will be tied to the plot hook. It could be a message which they receive. The thing is, uh, it should play into something the players have uh, have a vested interest in. One of the, the the most effective way to introduce a plot hook is to just introduce it through some patron. Uh, so somebody who has the authority to give them missions or whatever, um, which is why uh, I think that's, you know, what Diana was mentioning. I, or I what do that you, a lot. Yeah, what you would do if indeed they are a member of the militia or the city guard or whatever. But they could also... Um, there's many other patrons like um, the Johnston Library, uh, yeah. if there are any sages, or the guilds, uh, which we mentioned already. Yeah, yeah but so basically uh, somebody wants something of them and a whole uh, red tail of uh, other uh, plot hooks may be opened with that uh, single kind of worm. This is one of those places where I often look at people's passions. Yes. So, you know, everyone has love family. Um, a lot of people will have a loyalty to their tribe or to their clan. And mm-hmm. yeah. um, hopefully you'll have at least one person here from one of the local tribes, at mm-hmm. which point you've got quite a lot to work with because 
whatever it is that your player character is good at miraculously is going to be what their tribe wants of them. So there's also an interesting question, which is much more general than just the starter set. What is it that this person can do that other people can't? And then that's a reason that people come to them and it's perfectly believable and awesome. Mm -hmm. My my explanation often is that these people are disposable. <laughs> Because I, Wait, I, I think I, I'm not sure I want to play in your RuneQuest game, but I do want to play in your Call of Cthulhu game. <laughs> yeah, I definitely play, like, I basically play every game, like, you know, Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green, and that's really not i mean it's i it makes me it makes me laugh but um yeah maybe not the players i don't know they still play with me so i guess it's fine if they come back you're doing at least something right yeah um give them more snacks <laughs> i can't we play virtually now so i guess it's it's all for my good looks and uh awesome gaming skills i, I think it's your personality <laughs> So the um actually when you talk about the tribal loyalty There mm -hmm. is also the fact that they might actually, like the, the, the adventurers might actually reside in the tribal manors, in the tribal houses where you can get hospitality. So it's very possible that, you know, you're just waking up and going to grab your breakfast and uh, one of the thanes who works there or the, the keeper just, you know, runs to you and says like, you know, you've been staying here for a few days and uh, how about you do this for us? That's nice. You scratch my back. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I tend to use the tribal mansions for nobility okay, and yeah. nobility like have, have reciprocal calls of honor. Yeah. So can I do anything for you should definitely be a thing that your guest is asking. Whereas if you're using it for someone who doesn't have that status, amazingly enough, they can just tell you what to do. Yeah. So either way, you do get them. Again, like I'm often going back to this, I guess, above plot of the City Rex trying to build a proper army out of the Confederation. And... Yeah. The tribes, when you look at the starter set, one of the few agendas that are mentioned for the tribes is that several of them are vying for the now vacated wolf land. So it's the lands that were previously invaded by the, the werewolves, the Talmori, yeah. then got uh, swept away by a bunch of lunar veterans led by, uh, what's his name, John Wolf. John Wolf. Yeah. And Jomes, oh, nice pronunciation. And it's the fun thing with Gloria. You never know how to oh, pronounce it. Oh, you're French. Things. I'm sorry, I forget. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing, like um, uh, the Sinti. Oh, you had Clothes. And, and and that confused me because that E doesn't get pronounced, clothes. So yeah. it, how about I do Jones and you yeah. do Jomez? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, like the, the Cincinnati tribe, I realized listening to uh, an interview from, from Jeff Richard recently, he pronounces it a Cincinnati tribe. Yeah, Jörg does as well. But for me, it's it's obviously, um, yeah, that's about Cincinnatus and going back to your plow. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, Jomes, Jomes Wolf uh, fled after the defeat of the Lunars. And now you've got, um, it says there's like, I think, three tribes mostly trying to get back to those lands. Mm -hmm. 
Plus the yeah, plus the remains of the Maboda. Yeah. So yes. they used to be Maboda lands, and there may be people who want to make a play for that as well. Yeah. So one thing that might happen is that your tribe asks you to do something to to get ahead in the claims about this land. Oh yeah, that that's really awesome. Like go plant the flag there, kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. A, a um, race to go do something. Go break this particular chunk of land. Yeah. And then yeah. it's ours. Yeah, yeah. Even um, I like the idea of that. My my first idea was more of a you know escort this sage, which is going to do some survey of the land and and write down like, oh yeah, this this is yeah. this is linked to our tribal hero, so we've got a good claim on that, etc. And of course, as cool. you go back to those lands, because there's a bit of a time between when Wolf and the Lunars vacated and now, you know, anybody could have moved in there. So you've got the Telmori, you've got the other clans and the other tribes doing things. Yeah, yeah. there might be brews just um, um, yeah. roaming the land, etc. So that's... And it's yeah. it's not just the lands that you're looking for. Like my immediate thing was, oh yeah, you can go there and you can just claim land by basically moving in and then True, protecting yeah. that area. Yeah. But you yeah. could also um, go there and form your own heroism just so you're known to be in the area. And it yeah, may yeah. be <laughs> that your tribe is setting you up a little bit. You might like this for a fall. <laughs> So, you know, you, you go over to this famous hill there and you do awesome things. And then it turns out that they were doing something else over somewhere else completely. And you were just a really loud thing. <laughs> the distraction. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You're the distraction. Yeah. Yeah. But I like also the idea of escorting a group of pilgrims mm-hmm. uh, of of, um, of people who are going to settle. And it's like, too bad. We already have a village. That <laughs> that would be kind of a settlement mini game thing. That would be yeah. Nice. I mean, there there are a lot of abandoned settlements there, and you might just want to rush everyone in really yeah. early on because the lunars haven't just left un, untouched land; they left cultivated land. Yeah, yeah. If you move into the houses before anybody else moves into the houses, mm-hmm. you've got the houses, and the other the, the other ones have to build them. And you don't even have to go all the way to the Mabula land. You have that situation right there in the city. Because the Maboda have a manor in the in the city, and yes. a lot of a lot of the houses in the city will have been owned by the Maboda tribe before they got. The, yeah, uh, but this that was what sixteen oh six. Yeah, I but that's, that's, I wanted to bring that up too. Actually, there are two vacant man, um, tribal houses: the Dinakoli and the Maboda. And yeah. I'm like, I've got some notes about like what's in them now. You know, are there squatters? Is it like a drug den? Uh, is there a hole in the ground? And people yeah. say, don't go there on, on full moons or whatever. Like, you know, it's not just so a rundown building. I'd <laughs> say that most of the houses that were the Maboda have been reassigned. But the big tribal mansion could be one of those things where you go in and you squat. Yeah. And that would be an awesome distraction. And I mean, it's 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 a tribal house, so it must have had at least a couple of garden spirits, right? It's mm-hmm. like, what are they doing now? There's yeah, there's stuff uh, to do. Yeah, uh, the re- uh, resignation may have gone to the Lunars. Yes, and I, I was about to get there, and then you did, and you are perfectly correct, so well done. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, oh, you can't have this thing, Jörg, but... <laughs> <laughs> So yes, uh, well, the Lunas uh, would have owned land in the city as well, and the Maboda, uh, for, the former Maboda plots are a perfect place to have in lunar hands. Now, 
Mm-hmm. Um, with potential secret under those, because if you know that's happened and you live in the city and your tribe is about to go, you're going to dig down your treasure under the hearth and bury it there potentially. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's how you that's how you find the Staffordshire hoard, you know. Yeah. yeah. So detect spells are at a premium right now. <laughs> um, no, you do it further than the detect spell can reach. However, <laughs> someone coming back into the city and, and wanting one house in particular. Oh, I like that. Is a thing. Like, yeah. Some it's people a, will a, know. It's a very, uh, very Sherlock Holmes kind of plot. It is. Yeah, yeah I like that. <laughs> um, I, I ripped it directly off from another beer with teeth thing, actually. um and speaking of the lunars um i like the idea of you know nobody likes them and most probably the characters the player characters there's a good chance some of them have some hate lunar passion yeah so i like (laughs) forcing them to protect those few like there's a hundred lunar citizen uh, says the, the the starter set and they don't have any worship place anymore because the Seven Mothers Temple got uh, smashed up. So, you know, they might have to travel to go somewhere else to uh, worship or um, uh, other things. And so they might be harassed while traveling. If you are in the militia, maybe it's your job to keep the city in order or to keep the, the roads safe. And so you might end up, even though you hate Lunars, you might end up having to protect people who are of Lunar cults get to places safely. Uh, and that could, you know... I, I, I like... think I'll probably do that as a leaving caravan rather than as a going and coming back. Because mm-hmm. I think that the Seven Mothers cult has been basically wiped out in Sata. And any temples that are left, you're not going to inform the city guard about them. But get these people out safely, yeah. even though you hate mm-hmm. them, is a yeah. very, very good plot hook. Uh, one thing that Jeff keeps pointing out is that Sata, whether liberated or not, still is doing lots of trade with the Lunar Empire. Yeah, yeah, you might mm-hmm. be, you might have to protect some Etiri's uh, caravans. Well, well, or simply uh, you might uh, join as a caravan guard for a t- uh, term and visit furthest. Yeah, or caravans, they're, they're basically a load of people that join together. So your Etheries merchant drops off at Aldachur, but the Etheries merchant that everyone else was expecting joins up there, and now you have to deal with that as you come back round through Burn Squeeze and into Johnstown. So you've got to yeah. drop down whichever route um west of Duck Point and cross the river or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I'm always thinking about, you know, spying and, and conspiration. So I'm always thinking that those caravans, of course, they have, you know, one of the guards or one of the merchants has some secret message or is part of a, a spy ring or whatever. I mean, you look at um, uh, <laughs> the spells of Isaris or more particularly Lankermai, they make great spies. Lankomai makes great spies. I actually really don't like making merchants into spies because why the fu- Sorry, why the heck would you <laughs> trust a merchant if every time you come into town there's the merchant and he's the spy? Yeah, so yeah. 
I think that they would avoid that as much as they could in the in the process of harmony. And they might think that taking information helps with harmony, Mm -hmm. but I think that ultimately you'd just block people who are obviously spies from your lands if that happened a lot. So that's a trope that I try to avoid or want to make really surprising. Well, in terms of spy for uh, traders, what I have in mind is more that of propaganda. Yeah, and eteries particularly spreading joy and and (laughs) aren't we the best? That I really quite like. And that's promoting harmony. Yeah, totally. But yeah, the Lankormai would be the one who is more of the... CIA asset yeah. thing like with the interrogations and the uh, and, and, and the undercover there's a, stuff. Yeah. There's a spell that lets you essentially spy on another place that you have learned. Ermol yeah. is pretty good at spying too. Yeah, yeah but no one who's <laughs> sensible will let one of those in anyhow. It's just that he got in somehow. Uh, it's the um, you know it's the wild card. It's the Jack Bauer type guy who's completely crazy. But sometimes you have to let loose you know well uh, if you really want to spy uh, why not discover it the yeah, spirit world yeah. is, is a good because way to you can you can see a lot in the spirit world but you can't see the physical things yeah. but actually you can't, hear, here's a, you can't hear what people say either yeah but here's a suggestion for you how about you just roll the spy randomly like if you want to have a spy thing yeah. make up a load of people who could be and then yeah. surprise yourself as well yeah, that's the again. That's the traveler solution. Way back, it had a <laughs> uh, a mystery, a murder mystery on. I think it's called Arctur Station or something like that. This was like way back, late seventies, early eighties, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> it was also a kind of role to see which one is the murderer because they all yeah. had uh, a reason to be the murderer. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's but awesome. You you want to have when you're doing this sort of thing, lots of cover for the real person. Yeah. yeah. While we're doing this, uh, visiting other game systems, why not take a look at Paranoia? <laughs> Everybody yeah. has two secret agencies. <laughs> okay, that would that one I think make a good lunar plot, but we're probably getting too far away. However, it's hilarious. You can be the agents of Argrath who are undercover in Kalir's entourage who sent you to uh, be undercover in a uh, lunar uh, secret yeah. worship ring at some secret uh, yes. uh, worship temple. So you could you could be like a triple agent. No problem. Yes. <laughs> so you had to take on your illusion room, please. <laughs> Yes. yes. Now the, the problem is now that I said that, I'm pretty sure Austin is going to uh, contact me at some point and say like, oh yeah, let's play that, please. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I once ran a murder mystery in which four out of six participants believed they'd committed the murder. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the murder victim was not actually dead. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, well. Cool. Uh, What do we have? Oh, yes. Another, again, like, you know, I I try to look at the different factions and things I can tag. Another hate passion that is pretty common is hate trolls. There is the Torcani tribe. 
who has a tribal house in the city. Yes. They are very cozy with the trolls. Yeah. Uh, and they even have like a bunch of troll kin there. I would look for a way to get trolls or get those troll kin involved in a way that looks like they are at fault, but they're not really, again, to kind of play against that, um, that passion that most probably one of, the, one of the adventures has. So, for example, here my idea was Garangian, the head librarian at the Knowledge Temple. It says that he's very into uh, sweets. Like he's always looking out for, for good he's sweets. Eating his, his name is Bronze Guts. So he can eat an awful lot. Yeah. And we know that trolls like to eat lots of cool stuff. And so my first idea was that those trollkin from the Torcani tribal house somehow broke into the knowledge temple to steal some of his sweets. But too bad, there was also like an important scroll theft happening at the same time. And so, of course, because they were sighted there, um, they're accused of stealing, you know, some uh, dangerous Malkyoni scroll or whatever, but it's kind of a red herring and somebody else has stolen it. So, I mean, it's the kind of stuff that basically happens in my head as, as the kind of inciting incident for a possible, uh, possible scenario. Uh, usually I don't really prepare that much more than that, but... <laughs> How do you tend to get from the inciting incident to what's really going on? Uh, I usually just that's have my the, weak point. <laughs> yeah, I usually have just the inciting incident and I have the explanation behind it. So in that case, I would just prepare just like, you know, one paragraph or something about yeah. who was it that actually stole that scroll and what scroll was it? Like, whatever, it's a MacGuffin, yeah. who cares? So it's just a, you know, Malkyony spell or whatever. Yeah, I would prepare just who uh, who actually stole it and why. And the rest you can improvise because once you know who did it and why, you know more or less how they could have done it, who are there. Yeah. So I, I think that here you're falling into a trap of being a good GM. <laughs> so you know all of these things. You know how it's going to work out for you. But I think you probably want to write down... What happens if yeah. I go beat up the Trollkin? Like if you're a newer GM, what happens if yeah. I go beat up the Trollkin? What yeah. happens if I use magic to ask about this? What happens if I divine on yes. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd well, want to the, fill those out as well. The um, Usually what happens is that because I know, you know, the main characters involved, so the Trollkin, you know, they they just went to... Uh, still some sweets, but maybe they saw a roped person flee the scene. So if you go beat them up, they'll tell you that. So you don't need to invent too much, but what you need to work on, and which is where it requires um, maybe a bit of experience, is to figure out the pacing and know that if you go beat up the trollkin and they just say, oh, we just wanted the sweets and that's it then you're at a dead end because like, yeah. no, it's not the Trollkin yeah. and now we don't have any lead. So you know yeah. that the Trollkin had to give you a lead like, oh, we saw this rope person exits. Yeah. You don't have to give the players uh, the lead. It's enough that enough NPCs believe that they have the lead and show up there. What do you mean? 
Well, um, if all the NPCs believe that the players have the lead, maybe they have something which is the lead, but they don't recognize it. Oh, right. so, so you send in the ninjas. Yeah, well, the ninjas, the strong arms, yes. It is the good old um, rule that if your story comes to a crawl, make a guy with a gun enter the room. Yes. Um, So in that case, it would be somebody with a fireball spell or a sword or whatever. But yes, like sometimes, sometimes that happens. And then I need to figure that, uh, you know, whoever stole the scroll might think that they are, um, the the pieces are on their trail. And so when the pieces are just not knowing where to go next, Actually, the bad guys come after them because the bad guys think that they are onto something. Yeah, the bad guys come and ask them about the information they need. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's always quite cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I I would say that when you're creating these things, you definitely want to create the explicit routes. And we've got a tool chest here, and send in a man with a gun, which I tend to call send in the ninjas, is a very very good one. But also what information might you get as each step to lead to the next thing? And it really doesn't have to be very much, like you say, just a sentence. This, this sounds awfully like preparing, Diana. Yeah, but the problem is that we're here to talk about something that we've done for years now. <laughs> yes, yeah. So providing other ways for other people is also good. Mm-hmm, yes. I, I, I note that a couple of paragraphs of text is also how I do things. Mm-hmm. So I, I I would do very much the same, but I'm going to say that you want to be careful with starting off and then not having an arc because yeah. not having an arc can ruin a lot of stories. Yeah. And yeah. if you know approximately what the arc is, maybe have some ideas about how it happens. It's a lot easier to make up other things that serve the same timing. So you go to the Trollkin, you don't ask the right questions, but your library has insisted that you bring a sage along so the sage can ask those questions. And I pulled that out recently. I was working with some new players. They didn't know about the world, so they didn't have the confidence to step in and essentially make all the roles that were written down in part of the starter set adventures. However, I'd been able to inveigle a sage along with them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. because I already knew what the timings were, I could have him ask the correct questions or sarcastically ask them why they haven't asked the right questions yet. Don't they know that the saga demands it? Mm, yeah. So it, it can be very useful to have that kind of hint. And I, I'm kind of veering into general advice here, but I think that for the starter set, it's quite a tight set of, it's quite a tight area, quite a small set of characters And if you can hold even three or four of those people in your head and their relationships, a lot of what they're prepared to say kind of falls out from that. So I'd say start off small and then you can add to these people. And maybe later we can go back to Jürgen writing down his idea of writing down all the people and their relationships, Mm -hmm. because there's a little bit to add that I've got to add there. You can do it now. Yeah. I could do it now. So I'm going to say that I usually fit this sort of thing into a spreadsheet. And I've done it for one of my games. I haven't for other games. And the game that I've done it for, it each person fits onto a line, which is the person relationships to other people is one cell. And relationships to the PCs where you met them, another cell each. 
And then it's basically I can search by tag, I can search by place, I can search by time, by sorting. And that's literally all you need. And I've got about 40 lines in a Google Doc and it holds an entire campaign together and it's such minimal effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So write it all down sounds scary, but yeah, it's a Google Doc. It's it's nothing (laughs) in Excel. The other thing is that plots can be fairly complicated in, say, like a movie, especially like a Mm -hmm. noir movie where... There's going to be like lots of moving pieces, but generally you can't really get to that sort of complexity without actually planning it. So when you do it half-assedly, just, I would say, keep it simple where the Tolkien told you something, then you follow the clue. It leads to, say, like the Mabodor tribal house where there is some weird evil sorcerer who has been squatting there for the past two weeks. And that's it. There's an encounter there and it's done. You know? Yeah, the PCs will look at the clue you've given them, drop it on the floor and go follow that person who looked a bit suspicious. Yes. At which point that person who looked a bit suspicious probably should be suspicious because otherwise you're not going to be able to finish the game. Yeah, yeah. But my point is like, yeah, don't, don't draw it out too long. Yeah. Yeah, don't yeah. make it complex. Yeah. yeah. And that it's really good to be in, in Johnstown here. Because that's a physically small place. You can constrain what's going on. Um, One other kind of trick I have in urban settings like that is the the Schrodinger's reward, where when you do one adventure, you might completely mess it up. And, you know, there's like three burned down buildings and a mass of corpses. Or you did awesomely and there is just the bad guy in nice uh, handcuffs and if they messed up some kind of city administrator steps in and says you messed up now you need to work for us so you're going to do this mission if you did it very well it's like awesome you can be trusted you should do this mission please and so it's like either way (laughs) it's still the same next scenario yeah, uh, w- one thing I like to have is to give uh, people their ins into certain organizations. So after a week or so in Johnstown, they should know someone from the library, mm-hmm. some someone from the Chalana Arrow Temple, someone in the administration, mm-hmm. people in the militia, even if they aren't in the militia. Mm-hmm. So uh, they will have their go-to per, uh, people who may not be the right people for the job, but... With this kind of uh, network of contacts, uh, you can put them into a place or give them some access to stuff which they wouldn't normally think they would have. Yeah, then if you're staying in one particular place, then you're going to have local fame as well. So you sort out a job and then everyone in your bar or everyone in your bathhouse points you out for a few days. Um, people buy you drinks. It's awesome. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I want to be pointed out in the bathhouse, you know. Yeah. This is the old creepy guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, or they, you know, they spit in your drinks because they hate you because you've messed up. But yes, either yeah. way, you get some kind of fame or infamy yeah. that is, it's, it's the, it, it's back to the Schrodinger's thing, but it works at every level. It's the uh, Rolling Stone kind of thing where the more you, you adventure, the more you get famous and the more people come to you for more mm-hmm. adventures. But even on even on a local level, I've had things like 
little kiddies point you out. And I've, oh, yeah, I've had yeah. two very small lost ducks used as a plot hook. <laughs> they wanted to meet the famous people. So they met the famous people oh. and whoops. Did, did it start with the missing ducks, but it became a giant world-spanning conspiracy, though? Um, actually, it started with a PC turning up and she's attempting to smuggle ducks. <laughs> and she keeps making little quacking sounds. Oh I'm sorry, there are these ducks and we've seen a terrible omen and I can't take them back home until we've dealt with the omen. So then they went to their fields and they dealt with the omen and then it turns out that there was a werewolf there as well and then oh. they, they got into other things and oh, eventually yeah. they ran away from the werewolf. It's just <laughs> the easiest thing. It's like they've got these little baby ducks with them. Oh. So they, they, they took the ducks back home. Mm -hmm. um, the, the person who was looking after them already had a rep as a duck lover. <laughs> and what that did was it was something where each little step along this rather more crazy scheme <laughs> yeah. was entirely logical based on the fact that small people wanted to see famous people. Yeah. They're going to be warriors. The names are Ifsky and Mifki, and they're 12 years old. Really? We're eight. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So we are soon running out of time so was there any other uh, particular topic you wanted to uh, um I, I think we've covered a lot of things because looking at the map it, to me is the same as looking at all these particular individual yeah. headings mm -hmm. yeah. like find a really cool place and just run with it and have yeah. some reason for investigating it you don't actually need very much more and there's a huge amount in the starter set mm -hmm. where you can go oh that's an idea Yeah. yeah. So what, what um, kind of idea jumped at you when you look at the map? Uh, so burn squeeze. I love burn squeeze. Like yeah. my players hate going through burn squeeze because <laughs> the question, are they going to meet highwaymen? Are they going to meet that particular highwayman? Are they going to meet that particular highwayman? Only this time he's actually in trouble. <laughs> and all of these things have happened yeah. and um the the fact that johnstown is the center of a bustling area yeah, is yeah. to me the most important thing and the travel and the talking to people is yeah. the part that i set out to mess with most there's another thing that jumped at me when i was reading the the beginning part of the johnstown And I guess it kind of goes back to your original point of they take the trouble of giving you this information, so you might as well use it to make an adventure, is the beginning that explains how the city works with, you know, uh, the, the meat and the fish and the trade and all that. And, you know, it's maybe because I'm French and I'm culturally obliged to look for flaws in the system to abuse. <laughs> But my first instinct was, oh, okay, so where can I steal? Where can I, you know, make fake uh, vouchers to, um, to send or intercept voucher and change the numbers? Uh, where can I use a different, you know, how in the... Uh, in the Bronze Age, archaeologists found evidence of different weights that merchants might have used to scam people out of their money by just giving them a tiny bit less of merchandise on every sale and things like that. And, you know, I'm looking at all of that stuff to, at the very minimum, create a hook 
where you might be drawn into some kind of criminal underground from somebody who's complaining that he got scammed. And, and so, yeah, the, I was thinking of a whole bunch of ways to abuse the Johnstown system, basically. <laughs> Proud of you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and same thing, they mention how, of course, different arguments between philosophers and sages on, you know, on anything, you know, you've got a city where you've got a whole bunch of intellectuals. So of course, they're going to argue about stuff sometimes yeah. violently. Like it says, sometimes it goes into riots, right? So yeah. well, uh, it means maybe there is a symposium at the Johnson Library where they know this uh, controversial speaker is going to come. So they need some uh, some people to keep the, to, to keep order. Um, and so you end up having to be like bodyguards or whatever. Yeah. And maybe one of those sages gets murdered. And of course, they're going to accuse the one who got into a screaming match against him, you know, two seasons before or whatever. But so you could even go into almost some kind of like Colombo or murder she wrote kind of plot where, you know, there's a murder at the library or something like that. So yeah, they took the time of writing this whole thing. They did not sadly give a plot hook, but you know, let's use those paragraphs. The thing itself is the plot hook at that point. There's so much detail. And I like to back, I like to start those things off as background. So I wouldn't go straight in there with this is how you steal the meat. I'd go, yeah, yeah this is, you know, you've been doing this for a couple of a couple of years now. This is how the world works. Like introduce them slowly and then mm-hmm. hit them with the corruption. And then it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're in a city of students. So uh, maybe there might be a scenario in the uh, good world was the dog ate my homework. <laughs> what is yeah. a dog doing in this city true yeah the the rats oh the, yes the so what is a, do- a dog doing in the city uh possibly on the way uh, on his way to joe myth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yes e- e- even that little sort of thing why is it a dog <laughs> is really cool are the yeah. around here again <laughs> i don't know joe myth was up in balazar for a while I mean, people yeah. would not know from the starter set, but they have lots of dogs in Balazar, I think. They, they yeah. do, but the, yeah. the little details like that, yeah. just starting from the dog ate my homework, the actual important thing is the presence of something that the Alinxes hate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We didn't talk about Joe Myth. Should we talk about him a bit? Because... So he's an NPC in the starter set. He's a big NPC in a previous very classic campaign of the old school RuneQuest called Griffin Mountain, which people can get in PDF and print on demand. Uh, but he's kind of retired now based on his write-up in the, the starter set. I think the important thing is he can provide you with connections basically anywhere. Yeah. So if you want to go further afield, he's someone you talk to. Mm-hmm. If you want to get a job, he knows all the caravan people. He is pretty much central. I mean, he's he's very high status, yeah. but he can get you into anywhere that's external to Johnstown. But that's the thing. So he is good if you want to get out of Johnstown. But if you just have the starter set, maybe you want to 
stay in your Jonestown because you don't want to go into completely terra incognita and you don't want to buy other books. So yeah. how would you use Joe Myth for uh, he's uh, got enemies regional. i mean yeah. oh yeah everyone yeah. has enemies but he's made them the world over mm. and i i think i would go with there is a dog in johnstown <laughs> yeah and it, you know some people who have pitched up because a deal went south three years ago with joe myth and they have finally mm. tracked him down yeah yeah um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I think I want to use the curious incident of the dog there for that sort of thing. And then they've got to work out there's a problem and protect him. Or there are two sets of people coming in and one's the bad guy and and, and like that. Mm, but My first thought was more, he's got family here now. And so there could be also people going after um, his family, especially since I don't know if he's, is he doing anything anymore, actually? Or is he just retired and... Joe is the um, Isseri's administrator now. Oh, right. So he's the one who got in at the top there. Oh, he so goes he, back to he's those no Andros longer... brothers that got replaced by him and they might be pissed yeah. off. Yeah. So he's no longer moving back and forth, but he's still got a lot of status. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like yeah. the idea of, of smaller vulnerabilities, not just him, but <laughs> of other people. Um, I, was, I was thinking of how, you know, he might be organizing, like how the various contracts are assigned in the city, kind of almost like, um, you know, how uh, assigning public contracts in the real world is a giant source of corruption, right? And so I'm thinking it's the same in, in Johnstown. And, you know, if, if he gives the contracts to the wrong, quote unquote, wrong contractor, maybe that contractor suddenly falls sick for some reason yeah. and then he has to move it to another contractor and yeah or, or they disappear or obviously they disappear. they've run with the money yeah it's his fault <laughs> yes exactly so maybe the honduras brother need to be reinstated because joe myth has lost his touch or something or he, I, he was... I think so and i'm glad you agree with me here <laughs> <laughs> Um, with all those ideas what we, that we talked about, there's a possible chance that you kill a few characters and you need to replace them. Yeah, maybe uh, you should have your well. It's, it's a bit of bad advice with the starter set, but if you have <laughs> if you own if you own the uh, rules book, you could uh, simply have your players roll up two or three characters from Johnstown mm-hmm. as an exercise to learn the rules. And to provide the GM with NPCs. Uh, but I think you also wanted to point out uh, the RuneQuest Wiki character creation. Yes. Basically, the RuneQuest Wiki has only three possible NPCs, but you can uh, add some modules on them and personalize them uh, so that you can uh, get about six or 12 uh, characters out of that without uh, anybody noticing that they are uh, from a very limited pool of resources. Uh, that's for free, and you ha- you have these uh, empty character sheets uh, to record them. So yeah, the the RuneQuest wiki has like simplified character creation rules, like fast creation rules. I think they actually provide a bit more um, combinations than that. No, they have simple sets of stats that you can apply. Yeah, um, yeah. and they they've pared down the things you can do. They do say. Or just make these numbers up or roll them. 
Yeah. Yeah. But what's presented is very thin so that you don't have a problem going, I want all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll just say, roll randomly for your results if you want. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. But then, then you need uh, to find out uh, all the derived statistics. And that's not in the starter set rules. Yes. Yeah. The other thing is, of course, the quick start scenario, the Broken Tower, which I really like. Although it happens outside of the Juntown area, it happens in Collymore lands. You can probably just move it without much problem somewhere in the Johnstown Confederation. You could absolutely do that. I, of course, would say you should go through Burn Squeeze to get to Colorado Lands, but then again, I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, but you, I mean, unless you have ties to the Colorado Lands, you may yeah. not have a good reason to go there. But if you have been part of the militia or if you have been given missions from the city or the local tribes, then... Absolutely, yeah, you can easier. you could move that quick start to somewhere else that's in the local area. And but eventually, you should probably just buy the rule book and the adventure books anyway. Yeah, or you go to the transfer compendium. There are a couple of products there which fit very well into the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm providing a list, and a couple of the scenarios by Beer with Teeth uh, would fit in quite well with the sequence of scenarios we have in the. A starter set. I'm thinking of Stone and Bone and Rocks Fall. On those in Prax? So Rocks Fall can absolutely be set anywhere. We designed it for that. Um, okay. Stone and Bone does work better as a lead in two things in Prax, but you can definitely take um, that whole plot. It's if you want to run it with the gifts of Prax later, mm-hmm. that you'll want to keep it outside that area. But, uh, well, uh, I think Stone and Bone would be a good uh, follow-up to one of the scenarios in the starter set. Yes, that that would absolutely (laughs) be um, appropriate. Um, There's also, I I would like to put Vingers Ford in various different places because while it is built around a particular area in the Colomar, really all you need is a Ford. And there's actually a suggestion that you should go to Johnstown and find out more information. Obviously, if you do, you're wasting time when you get back and everything's gone horribly wrong and oh dear. But hey, <laughs> you can do it the other way around. I, I'm not very nice to all of my player characters. You're supposed to be nice to the players. You're supposed to not be nice to the player characters. No, I mostly let them be nasty to each other. Ah. <laughs> the players I'm lying <laughs> For the benefit of the tape, I'm looking at Jürgen confusion. Yes. <laughs> uh, are, you, uh, are you letting the players be uh, nasty to one another or address their characters? No, no. Player <laughs> characters get to snipe at each other, but if there's a real problem, I do tend to step in. And mostly I am the source of, oh my God, what happened in the campaign? Yeah. Okay. So well, thank you very much for having me, Lubovitch, Jörg. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Uh, thanks for uh, waking up and... Um, getting up. The word is getting. Yeah, yeah thanks for getting up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, we'll have yeah. links to all your Beer With Teeth stuff in the show notes so people mm-hmm. can buy your stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and yes... Thank you for listening to this episode of The God Learners. Our website is godlearners.com, where you can find episodes, newsletters, and articles about Glorantha. 
reach us via email at collective at godlearners.com or via Twitter or Facebook at The God Learners for any questions or feedback. We are The God Learners. Question everything to the void and beyond. So hi, Diana. Hello, and welcome to the post-credits scene. <laughs> yeah, so you teased a uh, little bombshell? I did tease a very little bombshell, but we didn't have time. We were talking about something else, and you're important too. <laughs> so, but since then, uh, it sounds like you had authorization to reveal what you're working on. Um, not so much authorization. There are awesome people to talk with. It's just that... By the time I realized we had a manuscript that was finished and ready to send, I was already recording a conversation with you. <laughs> yes. So it's okay. Nobody's going to come after you and track you down. Um, yeah, I'm actually a, a lot nastier than you think. And if anyone does come after me, I, I will eat them. Okay. So without further ado, what are you working on with the other Beer With Teeth people? So what we're sending to Chaosium is it's a standalone book, which provides an entire tribe as a playable setting, much like the starter set does for Johnstown. We've built up the Culbrea, who are a proud tribe, but with a reputation for banditry. They're actually called the Bandit Tribe by a lot of their neighbours. Oh, yeah. And they yeah. had a mythical, awesome king, Hofstering, until 1613. And since then, they've had Ranulf the Shrewd, and he's been a collaborator, a peacemaker, a betrayer, a bandit, all depending on who you ask. And the Culbrea rebelled against Tashus the Bright, in 1622 so they've been free for three years by dragon rise mm. and they're a really fascinating set of people cool and i think that legendary chieftain hofstaring or whatever that's the one that is currently rotting in lunar hell right that is hofstaring tree leaper right yeah. up until 1613 he's doing really well and then he meets the lunar magic and the lunar magic wins and they have to go to quite a long debate they have to take quite a lot of effort to deal with him they might not have been able to stop him if they hadn't thrown him into hell so they threw him into hell uh is the book gonna have a big campaign or is it more like sandboxy like the sort of episodes of the red cow books or so we wanted to keep it so it would be very useful for people who wanted to be able to play in a new tribe but opening up an area mm -hmm. and defining that area a lot And then we've got some scenarios in there, which the Game Master can use. And then even those scenarios open up more stuff. So you play through that thing, and then all the people inside are well-defined to the level that we've defined the other NPCs, because they're then part of your experience and part of your history there. So once the adventures are completed, there's a reference book for that area as well. Cool. And it includes features that have never been filled in before and some where the names and even the basic descriptions might be familiar. After the scenarios are finished, we've then got several prospective short arcs you could play if you wanted to. So there are things that will happen in the future that we've set out, but there's nothing in force there because we know that people want to make campaigns their own. So is it, um, is it fair to say that it's maybe a more detailed, longer version of the um, uh, Game Master Pack adventure where it has like a section detailing the Colimar, then three adventures in Colimar lands, and then like some rumors and adventure seats for more. We modeled a lot of what we're doing on the Game Master Adventures Pack because that's so useful for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it gives you things that you can use. So that was one of the things we were keeping by us. 
the manuscript is at the stage where we're doing our last checks and it's basically ready to hand over. Cool. Awesome. Well, anything more you want to say about it? Uh, no, but should we have another post credit scene where we do the regeneration into my final form? <laughs> sure, but uh, what do you mean? Oh, fuck!